Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to a very special edition of the Empire Podcast, dedicated to the nice guys, Shane Black's triumphant return to the big screen as writer and director. Now, this isn't a spoiler special. There won't be four people afterwards talking about the movie in great detail. It is instead an interview special. A couple of weeks ago, we staged a screening of the movie at the Gate Cinema in Notting Hill. And afterwards, I moderated a lengthy Q&A with Shane Black and his longtime producer, Joel Silver. The two of them worked together for roughly 30 years. Uh, as you may or may not know, these guys pretty much defined the modern action movie collaborating on classics of the genre like Predator, where Black was part of the cast, and then Lethal Weapon, The Last Boy Scout, and of course Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Shane Black's directorial debut in 2005. What follows, what you're about to hear, will be most of that Q&A, so if you didn't manage to get a ticket, don't despair, you're going to hear most of it here. A few notes before we go on, this was a live Q&A. And as it was live, sadly, we had a few technical problems with the microphones. We had feedback. There's going to be an intermittent hiss at times throughout some of the answers. Joel Silver's microphone was not quite as loud as Shane Black's and so on and so on and so forth. So the sound quality isn't quite as flawless as you may have come to expect from the Empire podcast. But uh, if you can get past that, hopefully you're going to hear a cracking interview. Oh, and also... We didn't have a working roving microphone for the audience Q&A section, so I have to repeat the questions. I didn't repeat them all live on the night, so you will hear my disembodied voice jump in during the interview and repeat some of the audience questions. I hope that doesn't put you off too much. Now, with all that out of the way, sit back, relax, and enjoy Shane Black and Joel Silver, two of my favourite filmmakers on very entertaining and very candid form. You could even say that they're nice guys but I would advise against that because that is too goddamn cheesy. Enjoy. We are truly delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by two absolute legends. Will you please welcome Shane Black and Joel Silver! Thank you. Well, well. Shane Black and Joel Silver. Joel Silver, everybody. Amazing. <laughs> that is one long walk. They have to keep the applause going a long time while you guys are walking down there. We like um, that. We like it. Yeah, it's great. It's fantastic. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. They say marriages don't last in Hollywood, but you guys have been together now for, what, 30 years? So what's the secret? I get a whole pass every once in a while to go do something else. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 it's a remarkable collaboration. I mean, we, we met in 86, and Shane was just right out of UCLA, 21 years old, just wrote a script called Lethal Weapon. And uh, I um, had just made Commando, so I was one of the few guys who was, like, interested in making action pictures. And I saw, you know, the first 30 pages of the script, and I said, this is incredible. It was an interesting setup, great characters. And uh, we sold the script to Warner Brothers, and we did, in 87, came out Lethal Weapon. And then, and then I did Predator, and then, of course, I used Shane in Predator as an actor, because I was hoping that he would write for me. 
And then we did, he did Lethal Weapon 2 in 89, and Last Boy Scout 91, then he took a time of introspection, mm. and um, then we got together again in, in 2005 for Kiss Kiss. But, but he had written this prior to us making Kiss Kiss. So after, after Iron Man 3, when he could do whatever he wanted, essentially, he came back to nice, the nice guy. Yeah, no laws applied to me. I could just walk the streets with impunity. <laughs> So this this film, Shane, you wrote this before Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. What made you want to hold off on this? Or could, could you not get this made at the time of Kiss Kiss? The reason I withheld uh, was because it was sort of an either-or situation. Yeah. We had two scripts. We had what was called LAPI at that time. Uh-huh. And then we had The Nice Guys. The studio might even have preferred The Nice Guys. But I was passionate. I had written uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang solely on my own, by myself, and I wanted to direct that. Mm-hmm. And Joel was gracious enough to give me that opportunity. We took that. And uh, we floundered, uh, attempting to make it for many years. Finally, we did. But Joel has been the proponent for it all along. He kind of championed this whole thing. First, as this uh, script that I'd written with my partner, Anthony Bagarosi. Then as a TV show, then as this, that, and the other. We had at one point, I think we were bubblegum rapper. You open your gum and you could read the nice guys a little. <laughs> but we finally made this movie with these two guys, and I think they're really, really great, and they were the perfect choices. Did it, uh, did it change much in the previous, in the, in the intervening years? Yeah, uh, we, we, decided, we decided to set this thing sort of in a displaced time period to take it to the 70s instead of just uh, the current day version. I think it helped. I think it worked. I think it was better that way. I think it adds a timelessness, to, which is always appropriate for a private eye story, but it also gave us a chance to explore this sort of compromised, very decadent 70s L.A. I remembered having lived through. And Joel, at what point did you really start to shepherd this to the big screen as, as the nice guys? And did you want to make this back in the day before Kiss Kiss? Well, it, we started again with Kiss Kiss, and when, when Kiss Kiss came out, there's a lot of interest in what could come from Kiss Kiss. And I remember CBS came to us and said, we'd like to do a, a series kind of like Kiss Kiss. So we gave them Nice Guys and they were, inter- so they were interested in it for a while and then that didn't happen. And then we went to HBO with it, that didn't happen. And, and then when Iron Man 3 happened, we kind of put it away. But when he came back after Iron Man 3, let's make them, that's when we got together. I mean, uh, we had written a 70s version at one point along the way, mm-hmm. but then he was taken away. So when he came back and said, let's do it, then we got, you know, like 2013, we said, let's, yeah. you know, let's, let's make this work. And that's when we started. That's getting- right after Iron Man. I just, you know, they looked at me and, you know, at that point, I had a momentary glimmer of sunlight and an otherwise depthless despair of an existence and I said okay <laughs> let's go back and let's do the nice guys with Joel because I remember some very fun times with Joel and I'm getting older I just need fun I can't afford not to have it <laughs> so I here I am and this is fun these are those nerds you spoke of right <laughs> I believe the word I used was geeks and, oh uh, shit and, yeah, okay. yeah I'm, nerds. I'm fine it's all good um, so what, I'm, just, was, I'm just how many of you do live with your mother <laughs> Okay, because <laughs> one person, one brave person, amazing. I, I love the, I love the, what you guys have done for us over the years. I think you, this is a great group, and it's a great magazine, and what have you. Oh, thank you very much indeed. Feeling is decidedly mutual, um, and I want to take you guys back this to this is Starlog, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> I want to take you guys back to the beginning, because um, Joel just casually mentioned there that you wrote Lethal Weapon when you were fresh out of UCLA, when you were 22. 
Yeah. Is that right? Uh, that's that's correct. Okay, so <laughs> that's that's wow. Um, Joel, when this guy walked in for the first time, what, we, what with this script for Lethal Weapon, what were your thoughts? I mean, it was, it was complicated. I mean, he, he I, I read the first, there was another director who was, the reason that it came, you know, CAA, his agent at that time, was very interested in packaging material. So another director had come along who said to me, you know, I want to make an action movie with you, Joel, which I was excited by. And then this script came along and they gave it to me and the other director. And I loved it and he didn't. So the agency said, gee, we're sorry this didn't work. And I said, what do you mean? I don't care about the director. I care about the script. Mm. So they said, well, you want it without the director? I said, sure. So I said, okay. And in those days, the spec script market, as we, we, we called it then, was is, we still call it that, but it was not really vibrant yet. So what they would do is they would, if somebody liked the script that came in, they would allow that producer or that entity to take that to every, shop it to every studio and see if somebody would buy it. Now when a spec script comes out, they pretty much give it to only clients of the agencies for only a few studios or a few buyers. It's a much more kind of distracted and a distorted system. But in those days, they gave it to me and I took it to every studio and every studio passed because they had a movie come out that weekend called To Live and Die in L.A., mm. which was, you know, in those days, there weren't the summers weren't full of action pictures like they are now. And that movie had not performed. So there was a feeling that, well, no one wants to see action movies. So Warner Brothers did step up and they said, well, we get it and we like it and we'll make it. So they bought it at a very high price, which was immediately put Shane in the crosshairs of most of the writers in Hollywood. And <laughs> uh, and and we then started the process. And, and very early on, I, I had an office at Fox in those days and Shane would come by and just rewrite scenes. And he would go in, well, you, you tell that story, Shane. Well, not much to it, except it was a very casual affair back then. You know, Joel and I had not entered into the official sort of... I, I, there came a point where the guard at the gate would sort of crank open these, like Willy Wonka's factory, and I'd go up and find Joel in his airy retreat somewhere. But before that happened, I was able to just sort of hang out with Joel. And he would lie on the couch or sit on the couch reading scripts or, I don't know, pretending to read or whatever he did. <laughs> and I would des- I'm a people pleaser by nature. I would desperately be typing away, Joe, what do you think of this? And uh, yeah, it's a little, it's a little fat to me. It needs to be, I can tone it down. So I'd go write it, bring it back. And that was just fun for me. I didn't know that it was supposed to be hard. Once again, at this point, it was just fun. They gave me the rewrite to Lethal Weapon. They said, rewrite it. Here's your notes. I panicked. I said, I'll do 20 pages a day. And so in five days, I gave it to Joel, and he said, it's fine. I said, well, let's turn it in. He goes, we can't turn it in. You did it in five fucking days. (laughs) They'll think you're an asshole. So we hung on to it for like... And then turned it in like 40 days later. <laughs> but it was just fun at that time, you know, and Joe, Joe was just a good guy. He was a font of uh, film wisdom. And I was just excited to see his movies. You know, he was prepping this thing called The Predator. Uh, and Arnold would come in and I, my heart would go, boom, 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 you know, <clears throat> which, by the way, was a feeling I shared until the first time. I was on the set alone with Arnold, and we were behind some trees in the middle of the jungle. And I was saying, what should I say to him? What should I do? I'm alone with Arnold for the first time. I'm really nervous. And he just looked at me and went, and just farted. <laughs> and went, <laughs> And so at that point, I felt it was pretty okay. You know? So at what point did uh, the acting role in Predator come up? for you? Was it uh, during the negotiations for Lethal Weapon or during the, the script rewrites? No, Donner had already come on board and we, we were prepping to shoot. So 1986, I guess it was about June, they're all headed down there. Looked like fun. And uh, Joel said, you know, why don't you come 
help us, uh, you know, you can visit. You can work on the script with us. Gee, that sounds like fun, Joel, working on the script. You know, yeah, I'll be over here cutting my wrists. And uh, <laughs> he said, well, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe you can be in the movie. I'm, I'm doing this the worst show. <laughs> He's sitting right here. Like, and I'm like, yeah, I'm Joel Silver. Look at me. It's, it's the worst show ever. It's very insulting. And don't think he's not going to tell me about it later. But I invite you to do me as well. He said, be an actor in the movie. I said, really? Because that's kind of, I wanted to be an actor. I'm not very good. Um, I would be at an audition and some actor would come in, you know, uh, who's from TV. I go, oh, I, I recognize, I should be great in this. He'd be so good, you know. And that's the attitude you can't have if you're in an audition. You can't be like rooting for the other guy just, you know, because he's so, you know. So I went down to Mexico. I did no writing on the film. I wrote a couple jokes for myself. Uh-huh. And then I, I, with the wisdom I feel is actually justified. I said, you know what, Joel, we've tried various versions of this predator thing where we give more character, more shtick to these people. It's best just to keep it the way it is and not write, except for me. I'll, I'll give myself shtick, yeah. <laughs> so that was it. We had a lot of fun. Joel was great. Joel's, Joel's a ride. It used to be Joel would take us out on a trip when a movie opened. We'd all get in the car, and we'd go to theaters and watch the movie play on Friday night. And he was so such a great storyteller, and he was so much fun. It was like riding a train. And when you were off the train, you felt bad, like, oh, geez, you know, I'm not on that Joel train anymore. <laughs> and you try to get back there. But by then, of course, the gate, the ivory tower, the you know, airy thing. And, you know, <laughs> I made the Matrix. True. Get out of here. Not true. <laughs> <laughs> Joel, I'm down here. I know I'm kind of busted and haven't had a movie in a while. Fuck you. <laughs> Joel, I have to give you right a reply on that one. <laughs> Not true. <laughs> so, um, but there was a, there was a time whenever you you guys did have a not necessarily a falling out, but on Lethal Weapon two, what was the situation there? Because obviously explain, there wasn't yeah. a falling out. Go ahead. No, he he. I mean, you know, Shane, smart young guy, caustic, wanted to kind of uh, show the world that he knew what he was doing. He decided to kill Martin Riggs in Act Two. And spare us two other movies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, but the studio didn't think that was a good idea. So uh, we didn't do that. But, but most of the story of Lethal 2 was Shane's, and most of the setup and payoffs were Shane's. But, uh, but, but he went off then, and he, and just to tell all of the story, he came back with about 30, 40 pages of a new script, which he had called Die Hard. And I had been making a movie which was called Nothing Lasts Forever which is about a guy who goes into a building on Christmas Eve. And, and I never liked that title. And I said, Shane, what are you going to do with this script? And he said, I don't know. I'm not sure. It's about a guy, ex-Secret ex- Service guy, and he works for this. I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, I said, well, can I have the title? And he goes, yeah, yeah take the title. So I called that movie, that lasts forever. We called that movie Die Hard. And I got killed because they said, you can't name a movie after a battery. Because that was a diehard battery. And then he called that script eventually The Last Boy Scout. So uh, that was that little story there. But that was in the, in between Lethal, well, it was during kind of Lethal yeah, 2 yeah. Into, in, into what became Lethal 3 in, in 92. By the way, that's one of the most uninspired pitches for Die Hard I've ever heard. Guy goes into a building on Christmas Eve. <laughs> well, I, 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 I'm I, in! <laughs> I have to assume they know the movie. 
I mean, I'm not talking about some weird, obscure <laughs> film. Ever. But but then but then after that, he he did do a bunch of other pictures that you know I don't are not noteworthy, and. Um, <laughs> And then uh, we we got back together again on on uh, at Kiss Kiss. Awesome. But you mentioned the the last Boy Scout was was in there as well. Um, so that was Die Hard originally. Do you get points, Shane, for that for coming up with Die Hard? I mean, that's one of the great titles of our time. No, I get shit. I get abuse. Is what I get. <laughs> <laughs> but that script became the Last Boy Scout. Yes, it did. And uh, not my favorite. I like the first half a lot. I don't like the second half so much. It's just, it doesn't feel like it's about anything anymore. But I do like the first half. It's interesting because um, I don't know. It, the original script, the original script for The Last Boy Scout yeah. can be found. I don't know whether anyone here has read it. Has anyone read it? Put your hands up. One, three, two people have read the, uh, the original <coughs> script for The Last Boy Scout. And it is very, very different. It ends with, a, correct me if I'm wrong, with sort of speedboat chase. There's. Things going on in the. That's uh, yeah, the third act. Yeah, yeah there's third a, there's act, a whole yeah. Chandlerian thing off Catalina Island or whatever, mm-hmm. which I, I liked quite a bit. But we we you know the studio we wanted in a football stadium didn't sound like a bad idea. It's just in, in the finished film, it just felt like it, the helicopter coming in. I was excited at the time. Ultimately, it feels like it was just action for action's sake. But it was still a good movie, more good than bad. And uh, I think Joel also feels like it wasn't quite the movie it could have been. Well, I mean, Tony, I I, I you know. He was a very talented guy, a very good guy, but he had a very a vision of it, which wasn't necessarily the same as Shane's vision. And uh, Bruce was very complicated in the picture. And uh, we ended that, up... That, that, that's a euphemism, yes. by the way. <laughs> if you don't know the word euphemism. But it kind of kind of got away from us, I think. But uh, but there's some great things in it. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because I, I know a lot of people, I'm, I'm one of them who, who love that film, and I think it's got a bit of a cult following over the last... Yeah, it's great 10, to be the king years. of the midnight movie where everyone shows up three years later to watch it at 12 <laughs> o'clock. And, that's, I'd rather the fuckers just show up on opening day. And <laughs> but, uh, but going back to, to that and Lethal Weapon, and obviously Lethal Weapon 2, the Kiss Kiss and the Nice Guys, all explore the dynamics of male relationships and buddy relationships. Is that something you were interested in from the off? You obviously keep coming back to it. You know, when I was a kid, I read a lot of books, uh, children's books, like The Cricket in Times Square, The Great Cheese Conspiracy, and that one's going to get by a lot of you, Charlotte's Web, all about these sorts of unlikely and very sort of ultimately effective friendships that felt like you'd taken a journey with a couple people. Sometimes it involved Christmas, even. And I thought that's just, there was something very heartfelt and cool about people bouncing off each other, speaking, you know, the back and forth of it. And then I saw Butch and Sundance. And I thought, okay, this is how buddy movies are supposed to work. Nowadays, I think there's a tendency to fish out of water. It's like, are you going to eat that hot dog with ketchup? Hey, just get your junk health food out of here. And that's a buddy movie to most people, you know. It's more than that to me. It's, it's about just, just, it doesn't have to be two guys. I, I did a buddy picture with Sam Jackson and Gina Davis, you know, and I, I just like that dynamic. You can't show off as well when you're writing dialogue if you just have a loner. You got to have two guys who just go off on each other, you know. I'll tell you one line in Lethal Weapon 2 I did not write. It's when a car crashes, a surfboard flies loose from the car, goes through a windshield and kills a guy, and Mel Gibson says, total wipeout. <laughs> That's not what I like. That's bad. Who did write that line, Joel? 
Can you remember? Jeffrey Bohm. Jeffrey Bohm. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> Who's a good writer, by the way? Yeah. God rest his soul. Poor guy. No, he's dead now. He, he, that's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Kiss Kiss. I mean, you, you, Joel referred to it as you, you had a period of introspection during the, uh, mm-hmm. sort of, I guess, late 90s. And at what point did Kiss Kiss Bang Bang come about for you? Real briefly, I'll, I'll tell this story. I, I had written some action movies, and, and I've made a lot of money doing it. I'm, uh, more money than I obviously deserve, but who the fuck's going to give the money back? It's like, whoa, 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 I don't deserve that much. Here, I'll, I'll sell it to you for half that. So I took this enormous sum of money that was given me, and as a result, people were very resentful, especially since they perceived me as being, A, way too young, way too whatever, uh, in this sort of hackdom of genre fiction, and I know this was not just my paranoia, because at one point my friend Dale Lawner, who's a wonderful writer, said, let me get you into the Motion Picture Academy to vote for the Oscars. Would you like that? And I said, yeah, I, that sounds fun. All right, I'll sponsor you. And so we, what? No, 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 no you, you're, you got that glazed sort of, oh, here comes that fucking story look. <laughs> It's not self-pity. All I'm saying is a letter came back. At that time, the criteria for entry was she had to have two produced works of substantive merit. And a letter came back that said, Mr. Black, we've read your application. We find at this time that you're inappropriate for membership in the Academy. Perhaps you'd care to apply at a later date when you have more credits. And I had Lethal Weapon, Lethal Weapon 2, Monster Squad, Last Action Hero, Long Kiss Goodnight, Last Boy Scout, you know, billion dollars of revenue. What do they want? I realized, aha, they don't want me. I'm a hack. I make too much. They think I'm a loser. So I got my feelings hurt, which you're not supposed to do, by the way. You're supposed to have a thick skin like Joel. I got my feelings hurt, so I sat down to write something meaningful. And I tried to write what James L. Brooks would write, because he was a mentor of mine. And I couldn't do it. I got 80 pages in. He he loved half of it. And he said, the other half, man, I don't know where you're going with this. And I freaked out. Here was my mentor, one of them, saying I had failed at this attempt to suddenly, you know, prove myself to be something more. So I put a fucking murder in it. I had to. I made a decision one day. I'll put a, a detect. I'll make him gay. That, that's, that way we're sort of in the same kind of postmodern ballpark. But I will put a murder in it and finish it, and that was Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. And that's why it feels half romantic comedy and half thriller is because it was starting out to be just that, a romantic comedy. And did you have to completely retool it, or...? Of course, but at that point, what was I going to do? Is that her walk into the ocean, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So did you suffer from writer's block during that time as well? Yeah, yeah. It's amazing how fast time goes when you're past 30 and you're just going around with your friends like the guys in Swingers on Saturday night and you forget to write. And then it's four years later and you go, oops. (laughs) And no one knows who you are anymore. Yeah. Were you keeping in touch with Shane at this time, Joel? Were you watching Tower Gate? <laughs> Fuck you! <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I would talk to him. I'd see. I mean, I would, I would occasionally offer him a movie, a movie to write, and he would always. I mean, you know, when, when they started this new agency, uh, uh, Endeavor, which is now part of William Morris, you know, they were, you know, hoping that he'd write a lot of movies because they were ne- they needed the money to pay their salaries of their people. Right. And I would frequently, you know, try to reach out to Shane, and he always had something else to do or couldn't do it. So, you know, he was, and they would say, "Why don't we try Shane to write this?" And it never really happened. But when he did write Kiss Kiss, and they gave it to me, and he said, "Look, I want to direct it," and I was coming off of, um, I guess, Matrix Two and Three, which had, had done been successful. 
So I said to the, to the studio, I'd like to do this little movie with Shane. They say, if that's what you want to do, it's, it's okay with us. And it was not a lot of money. We didn't spend a lot of money on the picture. And, just and look, we couldn't, you know, Downey was on his ass and yeah. Al wasn't really working at that, that much that time. So we made this little movie. And it didn't really perform that well. It performed well here. The only territory that really performed well was in the U.K., but um, larger thanks to you. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but it was but it was very well thought of, and everybody liked it, and it really helped Downey get Iron Man, and it helped you know Shane get Iron Man three. So it was it had a, got a lot of good things came of it. But it was uh, it was really a, a great little picture, and it was you know we didn't you know we had to kind of really work it around the finances. So it's not the kind of the action that I'd like in a picture like that. But we got a few nice little gunfights in there and a few nice mm-hmm. little things. So we, we made it work. And, and I think it really showed tremendous uh, kind of inventiveness by Shane to get how, the, how he made the movie and how it made and the cast. And it was terrific. And Joe was the only one, only one, who believed in the picture. I mean, he, he was excited. He says, Where, where's this been? Who have who, you shown this to? I said, well, I, well, I've shown it to everybody. They all hate it. He goes, what? This is great. Let's do this. I, and no one says that. Everyone's on the popular train. And they jump. They jump. They jump ship on you. They leave the train. Joel was the one who said, let's make the picture. And he got it done. And that's why Iron Man 3 succeeds. And instead of you know going off to pursue something else in that vein, I go back to Joel to do the nice guys because that's the well I return to. That's where I find myself comfortable. He's the devil I know. <laughs> and did you try to work together in the, in the intervening years? I mean, I know there was a Lethal Weapon 5 script that you were working on. At one point, it didn't obviously get off the ground. But yeah, well, you, you, you kind of write yourself in a corner when it's dependent on actors, and you need those actors. You can't. Yeah, that was in 2008. And, and there was a moment there that that Warner said, why don't we try to do another Lethal Weapon movie? I wasn't really sure about that. I mean, when we did Lethal Weapon 4, at the end of the movie, I kind of closed the book. I felt that the book was... Literally, gone. yeah. The book and, closes. And I, didn't, I didn't know if I wanted to do it again, but they said, why don't we try to think about it? Could we do it? And, you know, this is before the kind of epic meltdown that kind of Mel went through. But, you know, but we, we talked about it and, and Shane did a kind of a, a, a really nice treatment and it was good. It was effective. And, uh, but end of the day, everybody felt, you know, we're not going to do that. So we didn't do it. I have to ask you, while you're both here, as the fathers of the Lethal Weapon franchise, along with Dick Donner, obviously, uh, your feelings on the new TV series? I think it looks like it, it could rock. I don't know. It looks pretty good. I, I was initially very reticent that I gave what was uh, sounded like a dismissive response to someone who interviewed me online. But then I saw the trailer. I thought, yeah, why not? That's okay. It's pretty good. I'll watch. And Joe? I mean, we're not involved. I mean, it's... Uh... <laughs> It'll be what it is. <laughs> and uh, talking of other lost projects, the Lethal Weapon 5 script that you, you, you wrote as well, I remember once when... It was, I was, it was a treatment. treatment. It was a 62-page scriptment with dialogue, so okay. it was pretty thorough. I just want to clear. Didn't quite get to the script phase. Right. Well, that, yeah. would, that would be more money. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have a whip round if, if necessary. Um, you once told me you were writing a horror film or you wanted to write a horror film. Where did, where did you get with that? 
It's still in the hopper. I never finished it. Uh, it was supposed to be time travel done as horror, and I couldn't figure out the time travel of it. It got too confusing <laughs> for me. But I'll still go back to it. I love the idea of time travel as horror. I just don't know. I, I, I can't keep my head straight when I'm trying to write it. You know, I keep violating my own rules. Yeah. So maybe one day you'll finish it? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you plan much when you write? Talking about Lethal Weapon, you seem to be writing very much on the hoof. Is that something that you do? You write a lot of notes? Do you have? I try to get an image of the shape that I want out of it. I, I think, in, in a sense, what I do is imagize and put a trailer together in my head, a preview that would include all the images and sort of sum up the feel. So I'm actually writing to the shape of a trailer. I'm concocting in my head, trying to, and when it clicks and it feels like I sort of know what the trailer looks like and the general shape of what those images together would suggest, mm -hmm. I start to pluck the images and fill in scenes that would include them. Uh, that's a kind of an odd process, but it's, it's, it's effective. Interesting. So for the nice guys, can you illustrate what, what sort of scenes that you can for that? Um, well, for the nice guys, it was a dual effort. But yeah, like the scene at the beginning with the kid. One day I was just sitting around and it occurred to me this image of a kid looking at a centerfold. And late at night and outside the window in the distance, you just see plink as something goes through the guardrail of a... And, and he walks away and we walk away. And like, whoa, whoa, what did you, there was something... I just saw that, you know, is the feeling. And then pause, 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 and boom, it comes through the house. And... I thought that was, and, and then as I sat down to write that image, I thought, well, what if he's just been looking at this airbrushed perfection of the, the playmate? What if he goes down and she's in the same pose and it's like her in the car and she's on a rock and now he covers her up mm. so she won't be naked? Mm. I thought, okay, that's a scene. You know, it's that sort of feeling. Um, I've got some time now for questions for you guys, for uh, Joel and Shane. To summarize, what's the deal with Christmas? Yeah. <laughs> It's intuitive and, and largely was accidental in the sense that it just occurred to me to do it. Iron Man 3, I didn't even suggest it. Someone else did. But what I like about it is it, it, I, I just think it adds this wonderful sort of introspective hush in which we all feel as though we're of a kin. We're together in something, which is the Christmas season when we take stock. You know, uh, lonely people are lonelier at Christmas. It's the perfect venue for an outsider in the snow standing, looking through a lighted window at the warm inside where people who aren't him are happy. You know, I think those are important and effective uh, things to deal with. Now that you've noticed it, I'm not going to do it again. I mean, that's what it comes down to. <laughs> It's one of those things you don't want people to notice. And when they start asking that question, you say, okay, that's that. Because then it becomes a gimmick. Yeah, then it's a gimmick, yeah. exactly. Absolutely. But, you know, do set the next one at Christmas. Yes, please, there's a gentleman right there with, yes. So the only time, he, Russell Crowe, the only time our questioner found Russell Crowe hilarious previously was in Les Miserables. Uh, so was casting him in this movie a hunch? I mean, you have to realize that Shane is a singular voice. So these characters are written by Shane. So these, these, this dialogue is all in the script. It's not like, this is not like we're saying, hey, you go eyes, go on, be funny. This is in the script. And, and you know, we wanted Healy to be a tough guy, to be someone that you believe would, you know, grab a guy's tie and bang his head into the bar. And, and when Shane decided to make the picture, and an agent at, at his agency said, what, what about Russell? And we said, Russell Crowe? And they said, yeah. And I said, well, um, he wants to make a movie like this. I said, he wants to be a funny guy like this? Because the script was written. And he said, yeah, I think he'd like it. I think it'd be right for him. So, you know, Shane was on his way to see him in Sydney to meet him and talk about it. When I had talked to Ryan's people, because I'm always, always chasing Ryan. And they said, you know, uh, I said, is he available? And they said, yeah. I said, well, I have something. 
and I sent the script and and I said Russell may be interested. And they said Russell, well that's great. So by the time he arrived in Sydney and said to Russell, what about you and Ryan? That was the movie. It was there. And and the fact is that since they were both you know serious actors and they were going to play a role, I mean play roles, they immediately saw themselves in those roles. And then as Shane worked with them, it became more and the chemistry happened the way we all feel it happens in the movie. Is there much in the way of improvisation at all on your sets? There is, but what I like to do is keep it as a sort of mission statement up front of what we're looking to do, and then we can swerve one way or the other. But hopefully, like the night before shooting, not on set. You can't really, you know, you don't show up and go, okay, what are we doing today? Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> I mean, the actors, it's really an interesting phenomenon nowadays. It used to be like Sidney Lumet would write a book how he'd tape off a warehouse for three weeks prior to filming, and they'd just do it and do it. Now, an actor flies in the day before, he arrives for blocking, and that's your rehearsal. And so, it behooves me to just talk not so much about the individual gags, but to try to get inside my head and their head and see if we can't mutually arrive before shooting, even over the phone, at something we're all trying together to achieve, a point or a mission statement. And then that becomes our blueprint, and it makes it easier on set. From the off, whenever you write characters like Riggs and Murtaugh, you know, Joe Hollenbach and Jimmy Dix, do you write with actors in mind or do you, do you just write characters? I, I mean, it's the same as when you read a novel. Did I say novel? Like that novel. <laughs> um, how many of you read a novel and think, oh, I'm thinking of Don Johnson? No, you just think of a picture in your head that's sort of, and that's the same for me when I write. Uh, any more questions? Uh, right here in the front. I was wondering whether, when working on Iron Man 3, you found it um, harder to work with um, Marvel than you did any other bigger franchises? I found it hard at first. I was resistant. I was a little, like, I was a bit of a, an idiot uh, in the sense that I wanted to control all the moving parts and, you know, make sure that I had a say in everything, even though, you know, it was going fine. And then I said, Joss Whedon came to me uh, one day. We had lunch. He didn't come to me. I wasn't asleep, and I woke up, and Joss Whedon was there, you know. <laughs> we had lunch together, and he said, trust the machine, man. Just trust it. Kevin Feige, the gang, they're there for you. You don't have to pay attention to every moving part because it's all going forward in a way that's here to help and educate you. And I thought, oh, you mean I should take the cork out of my ears and put it in my mouth and just learn from this. And as soon as I did that, vistas opened up. I learned so much from Kevin, from Lou Disposito, Victoria Alonso, Stephen Broussard, a whole Marvel gang. I think they're terrific. Not as much fun as Joel. <laughs> Joel, how do you ensure fun happens on a Joel Silver <laughs> film set? I mean, we're all on the same page. I mean, it's, believe me, it's not always fun. Um, you know, I've, 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 I'm not going to mention the people that I've had difficult events with anyway, but, but, uh, <laughs> but it, it's not always fun. But, you know, but, but we want it to be fun. And, and the four of us really enjoyed ourselves. I mean, Russell and Ryan really wanted to make this type of movie. And Shane was really felt that he was, you know, with a, with a familial kind of group. And very quickly, we were all, you know, enjoying ourselves. And I mean, and, and we all love the movie. So it's, it's you know, we're all, we're all over town, you know, tonight, you know, and we've been the last few days just talking with the picture. And we love the movie. And I, I'm, I'm hopeful that there is a, a good response to the picture when it opens in, in June 3rd here and in the States on Friday, that we will be able to do another one. It'd be nice to do that. Um, I mean, we don't ever think about that because, you know, it, it, it 
there are some like Marvel movies or Sherlock Holmes, for example, where there are it's serial fiction. This is a one-off, and it's an original story by Shane, original characters by Shane and Anthony. And if we can keep going, it'd be great because we really enjoyed ourselves, had a good time, and we we did have fun. We actually did have fun. Yeah, and here's the thing. I mean, I, I was just driving in L.A. recently, and I passed a theater, and it said, you know, tonight at midnight, kiss, kiss, bang, bang. I thought, okay, great. I don't want to see the nice guys at midnight in, over the summer because someone says, hey, no one saw, let's go see this little-known movie that's actually okay. You, I need your help. As of right now, we're running 97% on Rotten Tomatoes, so we're... We're doing pretty good. So, as but you would, you said to me, and I quote two weeks ago, reviews don't mean shit. <laughs> it suits me to say that until the movie opens. <laughs> when you're 97, percent they mean a loss. Um, here's here's the deal, though. I don't know if this will work. Each of you has two friends, I'm sure. Well, you, it is Empire, but um, <laughs> one call one friend here. And one friend over, overseas, either in the United States, or Russia, I don't fucking care. Just call one friend here in country and one out and say, hey, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go see this film. And I want you to call two of your friends and tell them to go see the film. And each of them should then call two of their friends. Fuck it. Let's just try it. <laughs> Mathematically, if that worked, we'd be Titanic. <laughs> Should we introduce some level of threat if you don't go see the movie within seven no, days? That's we'll those die. fucking I mean, chain letter you know. bullshit. No, 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 no. It, it doesn't matter. I'll, I'll come and I'll, I'll give them a present even if they don't make the call. <laughs> All right. That's a promise to a couple of hundred people. Time for a couple of last questions. Yes, please, here in the, with the glasses. What can you tell us about the new Predator film? Um, at this point, we're thinking it will, I don't know, project on a screen and have it'll be in color. We've... Uh, I'm not really, um, I don't, here's, the, here's my beef, and I'm not meaning to in any way down, you know, the, the inquisitiveness, but we live in a culture where everyone's like, if I don't know everything about it before it comes out, and I want to be able to see every moment, and I'm going to go back and forth on the goddamn YouTube channel and get every goddamn moment and every Easter egg. I'll tell you a little bit about it. <laughs> it's going to be, it's, it's, it's an attempt to eventize the president again and make it more mysterious and less like, you know, the Predator has been so overdone in a way, a very low budget with a guaranteed return. Every couple of years, there's a knockoff churned out, like Alien versus, you know, Air Bud or whatever. And it just sort of, it's got to get to the point where people buy their tickets in advance instead of saying, oh, honey, look, another Predator movie. Uh, nah, no, nah, you know, Adam Sandler's got this thing on TV. Let's do that instead. <laughs> I want people to say, the Predator's coming, we know it's coming, we want to see it, and it's mysterious, interesting, it's got the same sense of wonderment and, and uh, newness that Close Encounters had uh, when that came out. That's what we want. That's very impossible to achieve, but we're going to try. The first one was obviously quite intimate in scale, despite having seven of the biggest testosterone-driven yeah, yeah, well. uh, people on the planet, including yourself, obviously. Did you see this one being similarly intimate, or...? You know, I, I'll just I'll say this much. It's not important to have scale in the sense of, you know, lasers over the hill like the scene in the opening of Terminator 2. It doesn't have to be 50 predators riding motorcycles, you know. Mm. Um, it just has to feel like a powerful story that's an event that has a lot of flavors and textures and is not 90 minutes long. And Hawkins' grandfather or father appearing in this one? 
Hawkins' father, by this time, let's say he was 50, he'd be 80. I mean, unless I want to do the Guy Pierce Prometheus route. I don't, we're not. Get some prosthetics, make it happen. Uh, we've got time for By the way, thing. why did Guy Pierce, they must have cut scenes out of Prometheus. Guy Pierce shows up in his old age makeup, which is really bad. And why, why get Guy Pierce? There must have been a scene earlier where he was young that got cut out. And of course, why does Charlize Theron not just roll out of the way of that spaceship? Honestly, what's going on? Well, we could talk about Prometheus all day, but uh, we've got time for a couple of last questions. Yes, please. Okay, so this question was about, essentially, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, wildly, but how did the great promotional stunt where Joel Silver yells at Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling to get off their asses and promote the nice guys, how did that come about? I, I kind of stood by and helped with the first one. The second one was all Joel. <laughs> That's not really true. The second one was actually Ryan. And he had, you know, I, there's a line in the Last Boy Scout where uh, the cop says, talking about Bruce's character, he says, you know, every lie he twells, he says has 20% truth in it. And, you know, I, we were talking about this kind of social media, social interaction, and we were saying we need to kind of work on this. And Ryan always felt that when he was a kid, he saw the scene in Roger Rabbit where I came in and kind of yelled at Roger for screwing up his lines. And he said that was the first time he was aware of like people behind the scenes coming in. And uh, yes, it was a human being and an animated short. But he said I, he, he loved that. So he thought, what if we do that kind of scene with you telling us that we should be doing more social interaction, <coughs> social media? So I said, if that's what you want, I'll do it. So we were in the middle of the ju- press junkie, which was in L.A. before we came here. And uh, he wrote down what he thought I should say, based on some stuff that I had said, yeah. But, yeah. But, but not at that, not at that fever pitch. No. And no, uh, people were walking by, and they says, "Joel, done with the scene?" And they says, "I can't tell." <laughs> but they all gave me lines, like you know, when I was saying to Russell, you know, he says, "I, I said, when did you win the uh, Oscar? Fifty years ago." So say fifty, say maybe. <laughs> I mean, like they were all giving me the stuff, so we did it, and I. I was shocked at how much attention it's gotten, yeah, but uh, but, but it was fantastic, right? <laughs> how many but, people have seen it? Okay, there, there you no, go. That's but, but, pretty good. But it's fun. But look, we're trying. You know, we're, it's a very competitive environment now, and we do have Angry Birds in the same date as us in the U.S. And we do Fucking have neighbors birds. too. <laughs> so so we just and we have Captain America still playing. So we're just being conscious of it, and we're just trying to kind of find a way in. So that's why we did it. Joel, have you thought about acting more? You're a natural. No, I, I, I did it once. I, I, I yelled at Roger Rabbit. That was, my, <laughs> that, was my, that was the extent of my acting experience. To be fair, that's a pretty good mic drop. I yelled at Roger Rabbit. That's the end of my career. <laughs> I just could, could you, I want to see Joel like in Sleuth, in the Lawrence Olivier roles. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind, I want to see Joel's Hamlet. That would, that would be amazing. Uh, I think we've got time for two last questions. Yes, please, right at the very, very back with a baseball cap on. Okay, this is a question for Joel, and it was asking if he looks at and still considers spec scripts. This, of course, is a man who brought The Matrix to the big screen, and that was as spec scripty as they come. Absolutely. I mean, I have a, I have a, people that work for me. I have a good team around me, and we see everything that comes through. We look at everything. And, you know, a lot of times things come in that we don't, you know, you know ask for, and we get involved in them. I, I mean, it, it, you find a piece of material that's effective and it works, you got to try to put it together. I, I don't believe in the notion of just, you know, branded entertainment. I mean, I, I think we have to, I mean, if we can figure out a way to make, you know, nice guys work and become brand entertainment, that's great, you know, but I, of course, we see everything that comes in the door. We, we look at everything. And I think there's someone right at the very, very back as well, please. Yes. 
This question is for Shane Black and essentially uh, what's the secret to writing such great dialogue? You just write it until it feels right. You just keep doing it and doing it is the thing. See, that's the good news is that no one sees the shit you bury, <laughs> right? So, you know, I don't think I'm any whiz. I mean, I'm no, no comedian, you know. If I'm out with a girl, she's like, you're not funny. It's like, yeah, shit, you're right. But if the girl were to ask me or say something and then go away for like 20 minutes while I sat down, <laughs> you know, now I'm Mr. Hip. So it's that. It's just, it's, it's taking the time to just do it over and over until it snaps, until it feels right. And be fra- it, the ability to abandon it if you're down the wrong path, too. But without funny dialogue, like scenes of people just coming and saying, we've got to get out of here. Why? Because she says, I don't care what she says. Well, listen, I'm, look, I don't like it either, but we have to leave. I don't want to. Well, we're going to. Do you understand? Okay, fine. Let's go. I, you know, there's a lot of those types of scenes and they're just bad, you know, so find the back door, find the oblique way, find the interesting way that you see what the character's presenting, but then maybe reveal just a crack of what they're afraid of, you know, that they're withholding. And there's all kinds of, read William Goldman, read, read Adventures in the Screen Trade, the first one, greatest book about screenwriting you'll ever read. Uh, do you know when you've nailed it? When you write a line like, touch me again, I'll kill you, do you just take the day off? No, it feels it feels good. It, when it, you, yeah, you kind of know it works. My favorite line is not is is really obscure. It's not even that great a line. It's just my favorite. It's in Long Kiss Goodnight, where uh, Sam Jackson catches up to Brian Cox and he says, "How'd you find me?" He says, there may be many reasons not to kill you, but among them is not that you'll be missed by NASA, <laughs> <laughs> which I just thought was a great line. You know, that's a cracking Samuel L. Jackson impression as well. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think we can squeeze one last question in. I think there was someone here right in the third row. Thank you. And this question again was for Shane, and it was about structuring a screenplay, and does he still get the fear? Does he get writer's block? Does he clam up? It depends. If I'm with a writing partner, we dive into structuring and all this stuff because I have someone there to commiserate with. I have, when I'm alone, I get scared, and so I have to start working or else I'll just get too scared. Uh, writing to me is the process of being scared until you momentarily distract yourself with something in the moment that's more interesting than your own fear. You're writing, you're writing, I hate this, I'm scared, I'm a fraud, I'm too, uh, oh, that's interesting. Wait, what if he said this? And then you're distracted from your fear by something that's momentarily more interesting, and that's how I write. And Joel, what drives you as a producer? Does, does fear ever register for you? I love the process. I love, I love the whole idea of finding an idea, making it into a script, trying to get it made, shooting it, editing it, getting it out to the audience. I, mean, I like the whole process. You know, it's, 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 I live the process. I do the whole thing. And, uh, you know, look, I've, I've, I've had a lot of successful movies that didn't work. I believe in them all the same. I mean, it's easy to say that ones that were the hits were my favorite, but, you know, I, I love them all. And, and I, I, as long as they let me make movies, I'm going to make them. You know, they will come and they say, nope, no more. You've had enough. But uh, until that comes, I'm going to keep doing it. Fantastic. And uh, the very last thing for me, Shane, for you is, you know, Martin Riggs, Roger Murtaugh, you know, Joe Hallenbach, Jimmy Dix. I mean, well, what's in a name for you? Jackson Healy, Holland March. Do, does it take a long time to come up with names? Is it instinctual? Does it mean anything to you? It just it just feels right when it feels right. Yeah. Um, I don't know why Martin Riggs sounded like a good name. Uh, Murtaugh is weird. That's just a Danny Murtaugh was a manager for the Pittsburgh Pirates back in the 60s and then when I grew up. But uh, the, yeah, it just feels right. John McClane, for instance, I would not have chosen. <laughs> just seems kind of weird. And ah, it doesn't come. Ah, it doesn't come off the tongue right, you know. 
but in Dutch Schaefer, not, that's not good either. <laughs> but uh, the the hero of the new one, the name I've given the guy in Predator right now is Quinn McKenna, which oh. I thought, and then that may change. Yeah, that's a good hero name, Quinn McKenna. Yeah. Just rolls off the tongue, and I think that's a scoop, a genuine scoop, and a nice way in which to end on that bombshell. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, thanks for your questions, and thanks, of course, Shane Black and Joel Silver. Thank you so much. <clears throat> That's it for our nice guy special. Hope you enjoyed the Q&A and hope you didn't mind the sound defects too much. The film The Nice Guys is in cinemas now. It stars, of course, Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe. It is a cracking good time at the movies. I urge you to go and see it if you haven't already. And come back every Friday for the regular edition of the Empire podcast. It'll be up like clockwork, somewhere between the hours of noon and midnight every single Friday. And of course, we have our spoiler specials and interview specials as well. So look out for those. Our next spoiler special will be for Duncan Jones' Warcraft, which should be up sometime in the next week or so. So keep your eyes peeled for that one as well. In the meantime, thank you for listening. I've been Chris Hewitt. Goodbye.